0: This is an ABC News special. President Trump impeached a second time.
1: Article 1, incitement of insurrection.
2: President Trump unleashed the force of a mob on this, the people's house. If we
3: impeached every politician who gave a fiery speech to a crowd of partisans,
4: this Capitol would be deserted. There's no way this helps the nation deal with the tragic and terrible events of last week that we all condemn.
5: He must go. He is a clear and present danger the nation that we all love.
2: Here is ABC
0: News correspondent Aaron Katursky. For a man who likes to boast of his uniqueness with strings of superlatives, Donald Trump now has one more, the only American president ever impeached twice.
5: On this vote, the ayes are 232, the nays are 197, the resolution is adopted. Without objection, the motion to reconsider is laid upon the table.
0: Seven days ago, the Capitol was a battleground. Seven days from now, Joe Biden will be sworn in as president in that same place. This had the active encouragement of a city president of the United States. Between those two historic events, the House of Representatives today took the unprecedented step of impeaching President Trump for a second time. The charge inciting the homicidal mob that laid siege to Capitol Hill.
3: Reject the demand for fealty to one man over fidelity to one's country.
0: Democrats like Steny Hoyer and Madeline Dean argued for accountability. To
3: heal, we need accountability and truth. That begins by acknowledging the president's dangerous lies and their deadly consequences. Removing Donald Trump is the beginning of restoring decency and democracy.
0: Republicans like Steve Scalise cited unity.
3: It will only serve to further divide a nation that is calling out for healing.
0: Can Republicans join the Democrats in voting for impeachment, including Dan Newhouse? These articles
3: of impeachment are flawed. But I will not use process as an excuse. There is no excuse for President Trump's actions.
0: So on this historic night, we begin with ABC's Inez Delecuaterra, who was there at the Capitol as this vote went down. Inez, good evening.
1: Aaron, good evening. Yeah, the House voting to impeach President Trump on that single article of impeachment, incitement to insurrection. We knew Democrats had the votes they needed. They control the House, obviously. But what was interesting is we saw 10 Republicans joining their effort. We started the day knowing that five Republicans, five House Republicans would vote to impeach and five more came out during the day to vote yes. That's a big departure from what we saw playing out last time around. Last year, no House Republicans voted to impeach. The the president. Still, though, we should point out that a majority of House Republicans did not vote to impeach. There were some that uh, actually defended the, the president, not very many, but some. I think for the most part, what we saw was Republicans coming out to condemn the president, condemn the violence at the Capitol, condemn the president's words and actions, uh, but they did not feel impeachment was warranted. That's what we saw from House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy, for instance, who uh, you know, finally recognized that Joe Biden won the election. He said President Trump did bear responsibility for the Capitol siege, but he argued that he doesn't believe the president should be removed from, from office, that he should be impeached and removed from office. Some of the arguments we heard Republicans make as to you know, why they didn't support impeachment was that they feel it is too divisive, that it's time for unity, that President Trump only has one more week in office, and that this whole effort is kind of useless. And Democrats countered that by arguing that President Trump poses a threat to democracy for as long as he is in office.
0: ABC's Inez de la Quatera, we know this now goes to the Senate to decide whether to convict President Trump. What do we know about when this trial is going to begin?
1: So, uh, Senate majority leader Mitch McConnell did say that he would not be reconvening the Senate. The Senate doesn't reconvene right now until January 19th, and Mitch McConnell does not plan to uh, you know, start the the Senate trial any earlier. So that's interesting because that means the Senate trial will be held You know, likely once Joe Biden is or after once Joe Biden is sworn in and when when there is a new Senate as well. Remember, with recent gains, uh, recent Democratic gains in Georgia, the Senate, the new Senate will now be at a 50 50 uh, balance of power. So that's going to tip the scales a little bit in, in favor of the Democrats going to be interesting to watch what happens in the Senate. Today, McConnell was asked how he feels about impeachment, whether he had made his, his mind up, and he said he had not, which is huge. That means that the Senate majority leader, the uh, Republican Senate majority leader, has not ruled out possibly impeaching the president voting to uh, convict him and remove him from office and we'll see if if uh, you know more republicans uh, follow suit mitch mcconnell will will be anxiously waiting to see what comes out of him and if he gives any more indication as to what he's thinking
0: all right abc's inez de who was at the capitol today when the house voted 232 to 197 to impeach president trump for the second time he broke his long uh, silence uh, that had lasted all day in a video released just a short time ago from the White House. And so we turn to our White House correspondent, Karen Travers. Karen.
5: Aaron, good evening. This is now the president's new way of communicating his message. This is the third video he's released since the uh, violence at the Capitol last week. He's not doing this by bringing reporters to him in the Oval Office or coming out to the briefing room. These are taped things, which means, of course, you can uh, do some edits. It's very scripted. So in this new video tonight, the president offered his most forceful condemnation yet of the insurrection at the Capitol last week. Uh, Here's what he had to say.
3: There is never a justification for violence. No excuses. No exceptions. America is a nation of laws. Those who engaged in the attacks last week will be brought to justice.
5: Aaron, Republicans are starting to react to this statement. Lindsey Graham tweeted it a few seconds ago that the president's statement hit the mark that he rejected violence. He unequivocally condemned those who defiled the Capitol. And Lindsey Graham said that this speech helps move the country forward. But we should note, this took a week for the president to be so explicit with that condemnation. And I think also important is that in the longer video, it's about five minutes, Aaron, the president didn't acknowledge playing a role in inciting the crowd of his supporters last week. He still is not taking responsibility. He has not shown remorse for his comments at his rally last week. And, and we heard from the House Republican leader today, Kevin McCarthy, that the president bears responsibility for that attack on Congress.
0: Yeah, and not only has he not taken responsibility for his own conduct and his own words that led to the insurrection, Karen, he, he seemed to say these were not his people.
5: It's really notable how the president is trying to distance himself from the violent crowd who were wearing MAGA hats, who were waving Trump flags as they stormed the Capitol. Those videos that are just shocking to see people with American flags and Trump flags assaulting law enforcement officers. So in the president's retelling of what happened last Wednesday, it's almost like this was a fake MAGA crowd that was causing this violence and causing the destruction and doing those assaults on law enforcement officers. Here's what he had to say about that.
3: No true supporter of mine could ever endorse political violence. No true supporter of mine could ever disrespect law enforcement or our great American flag. No true supporter of mine could ever threaten or harass their fellow Americans.
5: Aaron, but that crowd didn't just show up at the Capitol. This was not, a, you know, an organic gathering of people with uh, Trump flags. They were first at his rally, about 15 blocks away. They were absorbing his fiery message that he was telling them to fight like hell, and if you don't fight, uh, you'll lose the country. And you know, again, we've seen not just Democrats, and we saw a lot of them today and in, in, in the last week, but Republicans who say the president told those people to go up to the Capitol. He told them to fight, and they went up there and did that, and he has to be held accountable.
0: ABC's Karen Travers, our White House correspondent. I want to pull our political director, Rick Klein, into the conversation. What about those 10 Republicans, Rick? Are, are, are these profiles encouraged?
6: It's an interesting cross-section. Eight of them represent districts that President Trump Carried, So we're not talking about moderates. Uh, Some of them are more conservative than others. It includes, of course, a member of leadership, Congresswoman Liz Cheney, the number three House Republican and the highest ranking uh, female Republican in Congress. Uh, It it includes even one one member of Congress who actually voted against certification of the election results after the riots of last week. So it's an interesting it's an interesting mix. Some are anti Trump. We've heard a lot from Adam Kinzinger, the Republican from Illinois that uh, even today is saying that he hopes that the MAGA movement Becomes a third party, but others are more regular foot soldiers who were essentially fed up. And I actually think of that universe of ten. Uh, that's a, in some ways, a very large number because no, no, no impeachment has ever had more than, more than five uh, crossover. That was the Bill Clinton impeachment for Democrats in that case. Uh, but also a stunningly small number. I, I would note, though, that there were dozens of others who said that they were, uh, they thought that maybe impeachable offenses had uh, taken place.
0: ABC News political director Rick Klein. For incitement of insurrection, President Trump has been impeached for a second time. Ten Republicans broke ranks and joined Democrats in adopting a single article of impeachment. Defections unthinkable a year ago when the president was impeached over attempts to pressure Ukraine. We're joined by ABC News political analyst Steve Roberts. Of all the Democratic norms that the president has broken during four years in the White House, none Congress considers as important as the peaceful transfer of power.
3: Well, that's absolutely true because it's the bedrock of the whole American system. It's what separates us from uh, political systems around the world uh, because this has been the, the, the cornerstone of of what we've been proud of and what we've said to the world: "Follow us. This is our model." Um, these cliches, you know, even when President Nixon was uh, forced out of office and resigned the line of not a single soldier left his barracks. And believe me, I've worked in and, and, and reported in a lot of countries where soldiers leave their barracks all the time and, and, and where tanks in the streets uh, can uh, upend a, a political system. And um, uh, so this really has touched a nerve um, in in a lot of uh, people who, necessary, who were Trump supporters but felt enough is enough. This went over a line, Aaron. Uh, And one of the reasons why you had those 10 Democrats, uh, 10 Republicans vote with the Democrats, and and it's because of the evidence. It's because of the experience. And let's also remember, these members, this is not some abstraction. The the, um, debate over Ukraine, it was phone calls in a distant country and a lot of uh, murky accounts of what actually happened. Every single member of Congress understands what happened because they were there. They are the witnesses. They're not just the judge and jury, they're the witnesses, which is a very odd set of combinations. And so, yes, this, um, it, it's both a historic, um, uh, but also a, a, a very powerful present uh, where people felt directly, personally, immediately, the implications of the president's actions, Aaron. Steve, it's an historic
0: stain on, on the president's legacy what other very real consequences might there be?
3: Well, they're enormous. I mean, as you say, a stain on the legacy, history books, generations from now, the first picture, the first image of the uh, the Trump administration will be images from the Capitol and the storming of the Capitol. That is now the indelible, iconic image seared in American consciousness and history. But let's also remember, even if Trump is not impeached, it would take 17 Republican senators uh, to impe- to convict him of impeachment in the Senate. But already, we're starting to see a, a significant diminishing of his political power. Already, Frank Luntz, a Republican uh, pollster, did a focus group with um, uh, 12 uh, Trump supporters, and only two of them thought Trump should run again. Just a few weeks ago, it was an entirely plausible, incredible scenario that Donald Trump, on the day he leaves office, would fly to Florida, hold a big rally, announce he's running again. His whole political future is different, not only as a candidate, but as a, as a, as a factor in Republican politics, a, his ability to punish his enemies, his ability to go into states and, 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 and campaign against people uh, who crossed him all of that is significantly diminished and you add on to that legal and uh... financial consequences you look at the trump empire um, uh... the pro- uh, professional golfers association pulled out of holding a major event at trumps property in georgia you had uh... the new york city government uh, 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 property in new jersey you had the new york city government canceling contracts um, uh, Trump himself faces major financial problems when he leaves office, and then there are potential legal problems. You have um, uh, prosecutors in New York preparing cases against Trump um, uh, on, in terms of business dealings and allegations of fraud. So um, the ripple effect here, whether he's impeached or not, whether he's convicted or not, already he's paying a major price in terms of a severely diminished political leverage
0: Aaron and Steve one of his key tools to communicate has also been taken away his presence on the internet has been severely diminished in the last couple of days notably on Twitter which removed his account ABC News White House correspondent Karen Travers it it is so striking not to hear from the president in in a series of tweets at such an important moment in his presidency
5: striking and surreal and a bit eerie because I found myself so many times during the day today going to the screen where I would have my Trump tweets coming up, expecting him to weigh in after something inflammatory that somebody said up on Capitol Hill or very strong criticism from a Democrat or some tough words from Republicans. But there wasn't anything there. He can't do it now. His Twitter account's been taken away. And just a few minutes ago, uh, the head of Twitter, Jack Dorsey, uh, posted a thread, where else but on Twitter, where he starts by saying he doesn't celebrate or feel pride in having to ban Donald Trump from Twitter, but he says that they believe it was the right decision for the company, that they were facing extraordinary and untenable circumstances that forced them to focus on their actions on public safety. Here's an important line. He said, offline harm as a result of online speech is demonstrably real and what drives our policy and enforcement above all. He goes on to defend why they made this decision. Because, you know, you heard a lot of Republicans today, they're talking, they're there to vote and debate about Donald Trump's impeachment, but they were focused on cancel culture and uh, censorship. There were even people with masks that said that on it, because they're very upset about the president's Twitter account being taken away and the larger issue that they've been talking about for some time that they say is censorship of conservative voices. So there's a lot of criticism for that Twitter did this and hasn't taken down other accounts that they feel should be taken down. This is a story that will not go away even after whatever Senate impeachment trial ends at some point in the near future.
0: ABC's Karen Travers, our White House correspondent. Indeed, the president vetoed the Defense Authorization Act because it did not include uh, provisions about uh, cracking down on on social media companies the way the president and some of his allies had wanted. I, I want to pull our political director, Rick Klein, into this, too, because, Rick, this isn't only about President Trump. As Inez de la told us, his trial is probably going to be during the Biden administration. Oh,
6: well, certainly. Yeah. I and mean, it's going to be one of the dominant issues. And, and it'd be striking to have Ah, uh, President-elect Biden uh, as president a week from today, delivering uh, an inaugural address, the theme of which is uh, a time for for healing of national unity. The very next day, uh, we'd expect that the the trial of of President, uh, former President Trump. Uh, to to get under serious consideration in the Senate. Um, We could have mornings where uh, we've got confirmation votes on cabinet officials and afternoons where it's impeachment, impeachment, impeachment. And uh, normally a new president, would have the public platform. Uh, Biden, you would expect, would have uh, this window, a kind of a sweet spot in the presidency early on, where you're able to get things done and command the national conversation of particular urgency in the time of COVID-19 and the economic duress we're under. I, much of that's going to be lost, and uh, you know whether whether or not Biden uh, tries to control the storyline, he will only have so much control because there will be so much. Trump oxygen being consumed. And it's undeniable that uh, that it's going to, to take the eye off the ball at, the, at that time. Um, and Biden did not choose this fight. He doesn't like this fight. He can't he can't like the focus. Um, but uh, it is it is what is going to happen. And it's going to be uh, under Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer to, to kind of navigate this uh, You know, start, starting a week from now, very early in the Biden administration. So what's he say on Inauguration Day, Rick? I can't imagine he doesn't uh, acknowledge explicitly this this wrenching time. I mean, we were already hearing about, uh, having to further scale back the already scaled back because of COVID uh, 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 events around the inaugural because of security concerns. I mean, it's that same Capitol building that a week from tonight, the, the vice president is going to be taking the oath of office along with uh, Kamala Harris without President Trump there. Uh, you know, I, I, to my mind, it, it's a moment to, to talk a, a little bit more broadly. We saw Vice President Biden uh, last week talk about this in terms of the broader scope of what Trump has meant, uh, but he's going to have to have a different tone once he's president.
0: ABC News political director Rick Klein joining us as the House of Representatives voted to impeach President Trump for a second time. And the House did it under unprecedented security because of what has gone on at the Capitol and what's about to go on at the Capitol. We're going to dig into some of that security and some of the threats that we're now learning about tied to the inauguration. Stay with us. I'm Aaron Katursky. You're listening to live coverage from ABC News.
2: The picture of the 2024 race is becoming clearer, and it's looking like a rematch between President Joe Biden and former President Donald Trump. It's an election with few comparisons, both a current and former president running. So how should we make sense of this unique election? I'm Galen Druk, and every Monday and Thursday on the 538 Politics Podcast, we break down the latest news from the campaign trail. We sort through the noise and zoom in on what really matters, using data and research as we go. That's 538 Politics, every Monday and Thursday, wherever you get your podcasts.
0: You're listening to an ABC News special, President Trump impeached a second time. Once again, here is ABC News correspondent Aaron Katursky. The House impeached President Trump for a second time, this time though with some Republican votes. To get inside the chamber, members had to go through metal detectors as they reconvened under the threat of continued violence. National Guard troops, many of them armed, were seen sleeping in the Capitol on break from round-the-clock patrols through Inauguration Day. ABC's chief investigative reporter Josh Margolin is with us now. We've learned tonight, Josh, just how extensive the threat is that's tied to the inauguration and even today's provocative vote.
2: The the threat far from subsiding after last Wednesday's violence, the threat is only increasing. There are uh, there's chatter online about uh, calling for armed demonstrations at state capitals all over the country. And then there's a call for people who were actually involved in last week's violence to arm up, get into cars, go back to Washington despite the fact that there may well be 20,000 National Guard members in addition to thousands of police stations at the inauguration and around Washington next week when Joe Biden takes the oath.
0: Security be damned. Uh, these people are are loosely affiliated and, and loosely organized, it seems. And, and Josh, I was struck by something that the, the FBI bulletin we obtained today revealed that they, they saw January 6th uh, not as as the end, but as an emboldening act that, that should spur more.
2: Well, that, that's exactly it. You know, I, if you look at it, to the average person, if you're trying to breach a building and take something over and get topple the government, which is what some of these people were actually talking about online, and you don't do it, and you get thrown out six hours later and you get arrested, that would seem like a failure. But to the contrary, the fact that, that these people were able to to get into the building, to get onto the property, to get into Speaker Pelosi's office, to actually force Congress to stop its business and to hide for their lives. That is now being viewed by, by these insurrectionists as, as a success, literally a success. So we now have a situation where the FBI and Homeland Security are warning law enforcement around the country that these people are emboldened by their level of success. If they could do it, once, they could do it better the next time. And on top of it, it seems that the oddest of things happened, that you had such an amalgam of, of fringe groups at the Capitol last week with the QAnon followers and white supremacists and neo-Nazis and militia followers and Oath Keepers. The FBI is now saying that these groups found that they could act together. So they're starting to coordinate, which frankly is terrifying because we know that we live in a country that because of the long history of gun rights in the United States that there are just a lot of guns it's a very big country and there are a lot of people that are very angry right now and
0: and, and that that anger and and those guns the the FBI fears may be concentrated in in particular states this coming weekend
2: right so there the the warnings that have been put out in the last Three days, have, and even over the weekend, was basically that law enforcement should be uh, particularly worried about violence at, at, on Capitol Hill again, and then in state capitals around the country. But there's a reality. First of all, a lot of states don't particularly have very big militia movements. We're not talking about tens of thousands of people, we're talking about hundreds of people, maybe a couple of thousand in some cases. So what we're now learning is that they are. They, the FBI and Homeland Security want law enforcement to be on alert around the country, but they really are, are focusing their concern in places where you would expect. Places that have sizable militia followers and among those places where there also were, were overheated post-election feelings and, and a lot of the fight over the, the allegedly stolen ballots, which obviously were not stolen. Things like that. So they're looking at places like Michigan, like Pennsylvania, Wisconsin was another battleground state, Minnesota and and so they're looking there. But they the FBI is is telling people, even telling law enforcement, even in places like say New York or California, where you might not necessarily expect it that that local law enforcement around those capital cities in Sacramento and Albany, for instance, that they cannot let their guards down.
0: Josh Margolins, the chief investigative reporter here with us at ABC News. I want to also bring into our conversation Don Mihalik, uh, retired from the U.S. Secret Service and ABC News contributor. Uh, Given that very complex threat picture, what challenges uh, does that pose for the Secret Service, which is now in charge of securing the inauguration, Don?
4: Well, the Secret Service, of course, is going to be taking in every element of that threat picture with the security plan. I'm sure in the wake of the Capitol riots, They reevaluated and looked at all facets of how they were securing the inauguration, manpower plans, reaction plans, staging locations, to make sure that they had every possible aspect uh, uh, mitigated and ready to go if there's an emergency. It's a tremendous undertaking, but right now I believe the Secret Service has moved in to take control of the actual capital site and is beginning to set up their own checkpoints with their own personnel to start screening and, and watching what's going on in and around the Capitol.
0: Yeah, it's just stunning that that start started today, which is you know, six days in advance of when it was really supposed to start. Uh, uh, Don, there were so many questions uh, about uh, whether the, the Capitol police did their job properly, whether intelligence was properly shared and digested. Uh, if you're the president elect, uh, Joe Biden said he's not concerned about taking the oath of office outdoors on January 20th. Should he be?
4: No, I don't think the president-elect needs to be concerned about taking the oath of office. 20,000 National Guard troops have now set up around the Capitol building. Thousands of Secret Service uh, personnel are now setting up. MPDs on alert. The Capitol police are on high alert. The Capitol police have instructed their, their officers that they may not be going home for a couple days now when they report to work tomorrow. I think you're going to see a massive security apparatus set up in and around the Capitol building in Washington, D.C., and I would be shocked uh, if something happened that wasn't mitigated immediately, uh, even prior to or during the inauguration.
0: And, 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 Don, these groups are talking about small groups seem to pose the biggest threat.
4: Yeah, I, I, as we've seen throughout history, the, the real issues come in with small groups or the, or the lone wolf actors that tend to be able to conduct some type of an action under the radar scope because there's really, they're doing it in either a small group or by themselves. I think that's one of the issues that law enforcement has to continuously be aware of.
0: And uh, Josh Margolin's with us, our chief investigative reporter here at ABC News. We know from all of the documents and intelligence products we've been seeing over the last couple of days, Josh, that, that law enforcement is on heightened alert for whatever may come Washington's way. How long can they keep that up, that, that, that heightened security posture?
2: Well, that really is the problem. And one of the most terrifying uh, entries in some of these documents today uh, that we've seen was where they say that the threat picture looks, looks really, really dangerous. For months ahead, post-transition, post-inauguration. So, you know, the Secret Service and the National Guard and police, they can keep this alert level up very, very high through the inauguration, even some number of days or weeks past it. You know, I think that Biden, you know, probably should, like Don said, should have no concerns about doing the inauguration outside, mainly because he's going to be in the center of Capitol Hill where there's no public allowed. And the public is going to be kept so far away. So any threats are then going to be kept so far away. The question is what happens afterwards. And, you know, the pandemic is hopefully going to start, you know, coming to an end because of the vaccinations. People are going to start going back to business at city halls around the country, at state houses. We're going to get into the spring, so you're going to start seeing state legislatures returning to business. You're going to start seeing people coming to Washington for tours and for for traveling around. And, and that really becomes the problem, it, and like Don says, you're talking about a, a major risk posed by what could really be a small group of people. We can never forget that the Oklahoma City bombing in 1995 was perpetrated by one person, Tim McVeigh, with two, uh, you know, two cohorts, and that's it.
0: Josh Margolin, our chief investigative reporter here at ABC News. I want to pull Steve Roberts, our political analyst, into the conversation, too. Small groups uh, in in small numbers, Steve, but that find confederation on a largely unpoliced Internet.
3: This is such an important uh, uh, point to understand. Uh, When you talk about lone wolves, um, after virtually every terrorist attack, someone says, oh, well, he was a loner. There are no loners in cyberspace people who formerly were isolated, formerly deluded, now can find each other. Uh, And it's a very powerful shift in the whole way um, these groups organize and and support each other and encourage each other and organize. Um, We talked about the power of Donald Trump uh, and his use of social media and the fact that he's kind of been crippled by the fact that uh, Twitter and uh, Facebook now won't um, allow him to post uh, his views. And look, Donald Trump said years ago that he wouldn't be president without Twitter, and he was correct about that. It was the way he organized, the way he reached supporters, millions and millions, 88 million followers on Twitter, without having to go through the filter of the mainstream media. Well, will you think about um, all of these groups, the ability to police this, to um, exert some control at that moment when um messages uh, turn to encouragement to violence. Uh, Dorsey, the head of Twitter today, said, well, uh, they want to guard against uh, online uh, communications that lead to offline activism. Well, you can stop the president from uh, being on Twitter. But when you have countless people around the country, individuals using these platforms to connect and plan and, and encourage each other and stimulate each other, that's beyond the ability of even the most vigilant law enforcement, the most vigilant social media um, monitors to really control. And that's part of the threat picture uh, that exacerbates and aggravates the threats that uh, uh, Don and Josh have been talking about.
0: Yeah, and, 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 and Josh, the law enforcement's made mention about you know, combing the, the, the social media accounts of all of these people, and, and there's a fear now that they all go dark.
2: That that is true. And so you have the, the two the, the two sides of it, the fears that they go dark and they go to the dark web or to other or to, to telegram to other kinds of platforms where they can't be monitored quite so easily. Uh, and, you know, if they're on Twitter, you can at least watch them. But at this point, the the crisis right now is at such a level where I'm hearing from from law enforcement that they are at least happy that the means of communication by the enemy, so to speak, mm. have been taken offline.
0: The House made President Trump the first U.S. president impeached twice. Now the Senate's turn once that trial begins, perhaps after Joe Biden's inauguration January 20th. Inez Dadaquitara covered at the Capitol today. Inez?
1: Aaron, it's going to be really interesting to see what happens in the Senate now. Today, we saw Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell saying he hadn't made up his mind yet when it comes to impeachment, which was which was huge. That's the Senate Majority Leader uh, saying he's considering possibly voting to convict President Trump. It'll be interesting to see whether other Republican senators follow suit. There had been some reporting that Mitch McConnell, you know, was was looking at impeachment as a way to purge the party of Trump because if President Trump is convicted by the Senate, he would. Not be able to run again in 2024, and that's part of the reason impeachment was such an appealing uh, option for Democrats. I think what happened today, though, when we saw that you know a vast majority of House Republicans did not vote to impeach the the president, there were 10 that did vote to impeach the president, but a vast majority of them, while condemning President Trump, condemning his rhetoric, condemning his actions, they still didn't feel impeachment was warranted. So I'm really curious to see how senators uh, look at this, whether they have the same considerations. We saw President Trump putting out that video, you know, shortly after he was impeached, putting out a, a pre-recorded video during which he, he tried to condemn the violence at the Capitol. It'll be interesting to see whether that's enough for Republican senators.
0: ABC's Inez De La with us, who covered at the Capitol today. Our White House correspondent, Karen Travers now. Karen?
5: And I want to go back to something uh, Steve Roberts said about, you know, we thought that maybe next week, President Trump would leave Washington and hold a rally, likely in Florida, that could be seen as the kickoff to a potential 2024 campaign. There is no talk of that happening anymore, especially after what happened last Wednesday. And we don't know what the president is doing between now and when he leaves Washington at some point around January 20th. We don't know what he's going to do in the weeks right after that. But we do know that here in Washington there will be a legal team defending him in a Senate impeachment trial. That is not what anybody was predicting uh, eight days ago.
0: Simply stunning. ABC's Karen Travers, our White House correspondent, want to get a final thought from Rick Klein, our political director. Rick?
6: Well, this is all uncharted territory. I mean, to have the cascading crises of the Biden presidency all coming uh, now amid this impeachment push... Uh, you know, we we've seen so many superlatives over the years, as you as you noted at the top, Aaron. But this is a this is a new one for all of us and a new one for Washington. Uh, we are we are in a, a very tense time in this country uh, and a very troubling time, a day for for the history books, no doubt.
0: ABC News uh, political director Rick Klein, real quick to Steve Roberts, our political analyst. Steve,
6: look, over the last
3: two months, Donald Trump has done indelible uh, and. Uh, eternal damage to his own legacy. This is self-inflicted wounds. The way he handled the post-election process, the, the riots at the Capitol, he leaves office a diminished and a damaged president in ways that would not even been imagined uh, before the election.
0: No question, ABC News political analyst Steve Roberts, in, after a stunningly swift response to the Capitol insurrection by the House, impeaching President Trump for the second time. I'm Aaron Katursky, ABC News.